It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Natalie Bucknell and I'm joined today by my co-host Kay Wenigal. Hi Nat. Hi listeners. Hi Kay. Listeners, local community groups are great at building public support for projects, but then have to work out how to manage the early stage development and funding, which can often prove to be a so-called death valley. So today, we'll be looking at funding options for community-scale renewable projects, including an exciting development by the social benefit organisation Chuffed, who are developing a platform to unlock the potential of medium-scale solar installations for communities. To help us cover all this ground, we've got two guests today. In the studio, we have Hasitha Jayatalaka, a volunteer who is working on a BZE Zero Carbon Communities report about funding options for community renewables. Hi, Hasitha. Hi, nice to meet you, Kat. And by phone from Sydney, Prashan Paramanathan from Chuffed. Hello, Prashan. Hello, Nat. Hello, Kay. Hello, Hasitha. Lovely to be here. Great to have you. Thanks for joining us. So a big welcome to both of you. So we'd like to begin by talking with you, Hasitha, about your research into funding options for zero carbon communities. So local governments and communities have been amazing at taking up the challenge to get to zero carbon in the face of enormous resistance and challenges, go to 100% renewables, declare a climate emergency, and generally do whatever it takes to provide a safe climate for their communities. Hasitha, can you tell us about what sort of projects are they looking at and what sort of funding options are available for renewable community projects? Um, so that's a good question. So first of all, like community projects uh, actually span a wide range of types. So there's the solar projects, there's uh, a range of wind projects from a small scale to very large scale. And it's really interesting how all these different types of projects will require different types of funding that best suit them. Uh, so for the smaller scale projects, uh, you can start off with the types of partnerships you have with nonprofits, which help them raise crowdfunding, attract donations for them. So, What sort of size are we talking about for those smaller scale? So essentially, a few small projects, which would normally be a few solar panels, for example, would cost somewhere anywhere between 20 to 30 uh, to under, you could have a project under $100,000 essentially. And yes, that is a big sum of money, but projects span much larger into a few million dollars. So uh, in the under 100,000 range, which would generate maybe a few kilowatts of energy, would essentially be quite easy to fund with donations if you have a good partnership uh, with a nonprofit, for example. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there are much larger projects, which have a combination of different types of funding. Again, they do rely on donations as much as possible. They rely a lot on volunteer effort, but they also have a lot of mechanisms to attract investors who will possibly have part ownership. Now, those investors could be the community itself, 
Uh, and so it's a sort of cooperative structure where members of the community invest in the project and reap the benefits of it in the future. Those investors could be from the outside where the community owns part of the project. And then there can be other forms of uh, raising money, like having uh, getting loans from, uh, for example, Commonwealth Bank or um, Bank Australia. Uh, and that also provides an additional avenue of funding for these projects. I'd imagine those banks would be more conservative in their investment. Uh, so that's interesting as well. What, what we notice, what I noticed is, for example, in Sapphire Wind Farm, which is a, a quite a large project. It, it's on one end of the spectrum, of course. And that had a combination of all of these methods. So it, it, oh, really? Yeah. So it had um, funding from a massive equity firm, which was called Partners Group. <laughs> But it also had funding from uh, Bank Australia, I think, uh, or Commonwealth Bank. It also had funding from the government, from the Australia, from the CEFC. So, and those were in the form of loans. So it had a combination of both loans and equity. So, um, and and also community investment in that model as well. Community investment as well. So. Wow. Another equity partner, there was a massive equity partner, uh, and the second uh, equity partner was the local community. So, okay. yeah, it had a large range of investors, and the community was a big part of that. So it probably depends on the type of funding, but are there common barriers to accessing funding? Absolutely. So there are common barriers, or rather common barriers for a project to take off, and funding is one of them. And with funding, it, it extends it sort of ties into the other barriers that community groups face, essentially, because once the projects are at their early stages, they have a problem of having technical expertise in developing a concept or doing the due diligence so that they can attract investors if that's what they want to do. Or and that often costs money. Exactly, which is why they rely heavily on volunteers. And another problem they run into in that case is essentially how do you keep the community group or that, that organization continuously invested in the project enough to develop those solutions? So essentially maintaining that commitment to the goal and then having the technical expertise to implement their um, solutions, essentially. So you've mentioned the example of Sapphire Wind Farm. Can you illustrate a couple of other funding models um, with a couple of examples? Um, sure. So another interesting one is Hepburn Wind. Uh, which is uh, still a large project, but compared to Sapphire Wind Farm is relatively smaller. And one of the earliest. And one of the earliest, yes. Um, so it, it was two wind turbines. And what's interesting with Hepburn Wind uh, compared to Sapphire Wind Farm is that it's... Uh, so Sapphire Wind Farm is majority uh, not owned by the community. It's majority owned by a different equity firm. Hepburn Wind, uh, on the other hand, was developed by a third-party organization, a contractor, but... With about 2,000 members of the community, they raised about $9 million, and the project is essentially owned by the community. That's an amazing achievement, isn't it? Exactly. I think it's quite tremendous. Both the examples you've given so far are wind, uh, but solar projects really probably dominate the scene in some ways, don't they? Um, absolutely, and that's because it's a lot easier for community projects to do smaller projects on that scale, and they have to worry about fewer things when you do a solar project. Like, for example, you don't have to worry about the land that you would use. You can use it uh, on a roof that you can own and have an agreement with the building owners for power purchase, essentially. Is it, are there other projects, like pumped hydro, not just wind or solar? I think the, the vast majority of the projects that I have seen that are essentially wind and solar, but that doesn't mean that there isn't scope for other forms of projects. 
So Germany, you know, obviously with the amount of renewables it has, has a much more mature example of funding models, including legislation. Can you tell us what you've learned from them, or have you, has Australia learned anything from what Germany's done and implemented? So that's really interesting because um, what I realise is that Germany, uh, since about 2014, has a significant amount of community-run renewable energy projects, it turns out. Now, Germany does have a very involved uh, government program in making sure that not just community programs, but the renewable energy agenda is fulfilled, like they have a target to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. Now, but at the same time, they do have a very strong government involvement in making sure community programs are supported. So by about 2014, about 50% of renewable energy programs were community-owned or community-run. And so what what they do to promote them is essentially um, remove the uh, one of a few of the key barriers. Like they give priority give grid connections to community projects and they also make it an obligation for grid operators to purchase from community generators. So, Wow, so very substantial interventions. Exactly. So those sort of inf- interventions essentially take away some of the key barriers that community groups would face when they first start thinking about a project. Uh, it makes it so much easier to, to get your project off the ground. Which is not the case here in Australia. Uh, which, as far as I'm aware, community groups would have to figure out their power purchase agreements and figure out those technical details as they go along. And that does take some expertise. So Chuffed, uh, looking at ways of addressing other barriers that community projects face. So let's move on to Prashan and hear a little bit about Chuffed. So can you give us the elevator pitch on Chuffed, Prashan? Sure. So Chuffed.org is a crowdfunding platform for social cause projects started in Australia about five years ago. We've raised about $40 million for 13,000 projects around the world. Now, not all of that is renewable energy projects, uh, but actually a significant portion are. So we supported groups like Climate Action Newcastle to raise 30 grand to put solar on the local bowling club. And what we started to see a lot of is a number of these uh, community renewable groups doing small scale, normally behind the meter, solar projects on local community assets, childcare centres, bowling clubs, science discovery centres, things like that. So that's, um, that's amazing know, what you've achieved, Prashant. Did, when you started, did you have any idea that renewable energy would form such a large component of your projects? No, we had no idea, actually, because, I mean, this community renewable movement, I remember uh, Sun Homes Accord talking about this when they were starting uh, or driving the Hepburn wind farm eight, ten years ago. He said you could get all the eight people who were interested in community renewables in Victoria together in a room, and he did. <laughs> um, and then now you can go to northeast Victoria and you, you barely have space in a room for all the people just doing community renewable work in northeast Victoria. So, Prashant, can you tell us what the scope is of the help that you can give communities? Yeah, so late last year, we actually, Simon uh, was doing a campaign with us that ended up doing really well. And so we got talking about how can we support more of these community renewable groups to be a bigger part of the renewable energy transformation. And so we talked to a number of our customer bases, a lot of these community renewable groups around the country. And what they were saying is, 
where they're getting stuck in building projects in that kind of one to five megawatt scale range. So this is you know, past the behind the meter project, past, uh, after they do a community bulk buy normally, then when they're looking at those projects, they get stuck at two points. The first is doing early stage development work. So they might get 50 grand to do a feasibility study, which tells them, great, this project is going to work. And then they need another 20 grand to do a DA, a development application, or they need another 50 grand to do their grid connection study. And then they get stuck at that point because new grants only come around every now and then. It's, it's hard to kind of get that amount of money together. If they get through that phase and they get you know, what we call a shovel-ready project, then the expense of doing a capital raise where you're getting in investments into that from the community is actually relatively significant, relatively high risk for a community group. And so we want to support them in those two areas in how can you make the process of development really easy and how can you make the process of raising investment from the community really easy. So what we've built is is a new chapter renewables platform, which allows you to so we work with community groups to work with a partner developer whose values aligned, who understands the space to do the early stage development work for them. And then the partner developer will give the community group first right to raise money and own buy back that, that project. And we will support them with a crowd investment platform, a new platform called Chubb Renewables, which will launch at the end of the year to take away all the complexity, risk and cost around running a community investment program. So, Prashant, sorry, can you clarify, who's taking on the risk and cost of that early developer bit? Is that chunk being shared between the developers and other funding, that risk? So, I mean, it varies depending on where along the project development the community groups are. But if they're very, very early stage, say they've you've just maybe found a bit of land and they want to build a project, normally you'll be the project developer that takes on that risk and then they will get paid in a project development fee during the capital raise at the end of that. Okay, and, and if there's no capital raise at the end of that? Then the project developer uh, can you know, sell that to somebody else. So it balances off the risk that they're taking. So they'll probably invest a few hundred grand of their own money into developing up that project. And so they don't want to be left on the hook where you know, there's a project there that can't go anywhere. Hmm. Sounds pretty much like building developments. Yeah, exactly. It's actually very similar. Hmm. Yeah. You mentioned about the um, 1 to 5 megawatt renewables. Is that mainly solar? And are there a uh, lot of projects that, that are already have been identified that, that are waiting for funding or support? It is mainly solar right now, mostly because the complexity around developing a solar project and then operating and maintaining a solar project is a lot simpler than a wind project, pump hydro or even a battery. Um, There's a lot less moving parts, very simply put. It's a lot easier to install. So there's a number of sites that we're working with, a few in Victoria and one or two in New South Wales um, that we're developing with relatively early stage still and we're looking for more science right now. So you also have retailing as part of your offering, I, I believe. Is that different? Are the rules different from one state to another with regard to energy retailers? 
I mean, there are some state-based regulations that you need to be aware of. We work with a partner retailer that operates across the East Coast. And so what we can do is uh, create the experience for people of, hey, we're in a local, normally regional community. We want to be uh, sustainable within our community. And so we're going to develop a local solar farm. And so we work with them through the development process then help them with the capital raise uh, through that. And then when that gets built, say 69 months down the track, we can then go back to that community, to the investors and people who didn't invest and go, hey, do you want to buy your energy from that farm? Listeners, if you've just tuned in, we're talking to Hasitha Jayatalaka and Prashan Paramanathan about funding for community renewable projects. So you were saying about the options for retailers... Prashan, what is the kind of retail package that's that's on offer for communities? Yeah, so I mean, we, we can actually tailor this to the community, and and really, basically, what we're doing is agreeing on a price between the generation and the retailer. And so, if the community uh, if the community wants to get a higher return on their investment on the generation side, then that will pass through as a higher price on the retail side. But normally speaking, a fair and reasonable return and good balance is probably about um, seven cents a kilowatt hour on the generation side. And then that needs to be firmed up, which probably costs you another three cents a kilowatt hour. And then that translates to 10 cents wholesale on the retail side, which is probably you know, on par, if not a little bit below the default market offer. So how are Chuffed funded for this work, Prashan? And so is there VC funding involved? I think I've seen mention of arena funding towards some of this. Yeah, I mean, Chuffed's had an interesting journey. Um, so we're, we're funding this work off, out of Chuffed's core budget. And so uh, we were originally funded when we started from a very generous grant from the Telstra Foundation who invested, uh, over the course of a few years, they invested $560,000 in us as the grant. And then later down the track, we converted structure into a social enterprise structure we call a social benefit company. And then we raised a 1.1 mil equity round from venture capital um, investors. And then we earn income through the Chuff platform, so that's kind of what funds our ongoing operations. So you're looking at getting Arena's support to demonstrate the opportunity for the 1 to 5 megawatt solar renewables and unlock that market. Does that mean you you haven't got projects that you've started yet, and certainly not projects you've completed, I'd imagine? I mean, just to clarify, we, we would love to get uh, Arena support behind this, but we, we don't have that right now. Um, and so we're funding this from Chuffed. So we are uh, working through a number of sites. So we're only going to launch the platform uh, towards the end of the year. We're working through yeah, getting the, the sites locked down, the, the launch projects locked down uh, at the moment over the next three months. We, oh, we're so getting our, ahead of ourselves. Yes, it sounds I'm getting so good. too excited, <laughs> I think. <Yeah. laughs> I just want to be clear. Sorry about that. Anyone from Arena <laughs> it's just that communities have been crying out for this sort of thing and it's an amazing opportunity for them. So... It's wonderful that you've come on board to do this. 
So what are some no, of what are some of the advantages that you see in doing a, a, a number of projects of the similar scale all all at once? In that one to five megawatt range. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think right now for where our transmission infrastructure and distribution infrastructure is, if you look at the pipeline going forward, uh, all the great solar wind resources, the locations for those I think have been taken and forward, while there's been a huge boom in utility-scale wind and solar uh, over the last few years, the forward projections on that aren't fantastic until the transmission infrastructure gets upgraded. Where there is capacity is down in the distribution level. And I think there's a real opportunity for us to soak up a lot of that distribution capacity near load centres without overspending on the transmission infrastructure. So if we can make one to five megawatt projects ubiquitous around the country, I think that's overall at a macro level, saves us money on you know, distribution and transmission costs, poles and wires, which ultimately flows on down to consumers. So you're talking about regional areas? We're talking about regional areas, but also, I mean, regional areas close to population centres. Yeah, large towns. I mean, actually, one of, one of the sites that we're looking at actually is relatively close to Melbourne. You can't say any more than that? <laughs> I can't say more than that. <laughs> So these renewable project offerings, um, you're only offering those within Australia? That's not part of your international offerings? Only offer in Australia, it's great. Right. And Hasitha has been sitting here nodding through a lot of this. <laughs> it's obviously resonating with issues that he's come across. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah, so I think w- when I first heard of Shaft, the first thing I thought of was, yeah, that's a really useful model for a lot of the communities that BZE works with. Um, because uh, one of the main things is that whole aspect of doing, uh, getting investor funding or getting some sort of funding to or someone to develop the project for them. So this essentially takes that technical burden out of the hands of the community group and essentially they simply need to have the initiative. So uh, I think it's uh, it's tremendous, uh, quite useful for communities that are interested. Prashana, I've got another question for you. A lot of the larger scale projects, renewable projects, have issues with with all sorts of things, as you've mentioned, but also that they have to provide firming. Is that the same for one to five megawatt projects? I mean, it depends on how you sell them. So if you're just selling on the spot market, then you you don't have to provide firming. And if you've got a PDA contract with some other buyer, you don't have to provide firming. But if you're retailing, essentially, you're selling to a retailer, you can sell that low profile, solar low profile to a retailer and they might just, you know, just buy that low profile. But if you want to sell it to a customer through a retail offering directly, then you do need to firm it. So who's the retailer who's interested in, and what's in it for them? Uh, I mean, so we're, we're working with Energy Local, who are a, a great outfit to provide that retail offering. Now, they, I mean, they get to build their customer base they, which is the kind of core thing that you need as a retailer. So I think that's the kind of main thing, but they're also pretty values aligned and they want to see this uh, come into the market. They want to see communities own their generation. So I think you know, both of those things drive them. Yeah, interesting. Well, Prashan, thanks very much. Where can our listeners find out more about Chuffed and, and the renewable model? 
right now you can just go to chuckrenewables.com and just sign up for the mailing list and you'll hear about it as it rolls out. It's all very kind of scrappy early stage right now on the website, but over the next three months you'll see that dramatically change. Or you can email me directly at prashan, P-R-A-S-H-A-N, at chuckrenewables.com. So just to clarify this for our listeners, Prashan, you're the CEO of Chuffed. You started it in Australia, but it's an international organisation as well. And and it's but renewables are here in Australia only. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. And Hasetha, when will we get to hear from this BZD report? Um, so that's, uh, that's a good question. Uh, one thing is it's not going to be a report only. So uh, what we realized is there's a lot more we can de- deliver than just a traditional report. So it's rolled out into a bigger project. That's hopefully, exciting. yeah, hopefully within uh, the next three to six months, there should be something substantial. It's going to be uh, have hopefully a database of ongoing or uh, completed local projects, which can provide ins- inspiration for other groups as well, and a database of uh, initiatives like Shaft, which uh, community groups can uh, you know reach out to. And, um, and you're interested to hear from any other investment avenues, aren't you? Exactly. So we would like to, if anyone has any opportunities that uh, community groups can make use of, um, that would be great if BZE can include their contacts and their details on our database. Um, that would be amazing. So listeners, if you know of anything, please pass the details on to BZE. Thank you, Hasitha and Prashan. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.